The views and therapies expressed in this podcast episode are those of the guest and may not be endorsed by PCCA. The statements are provided for educational purposes only. They have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration and are not to be interpreted as a promise, guarantee, or claim of therapeutic efficacy or safety. The information contained herein is not intended to replace or substitute for conventional medical care or encourage its abandonment. Welcome to The Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast where we discuss all things compounding and all things concerning independent pharmacy. Now, here are your hosts, Mike Delicio, North American Sales Director, and Sebastian Dennison, Clinical Compounding Pharmacist. Welcome, Compounding World. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of A Mortar and Pestle, a PCCA podcast. And I am Mike Delicio, joined with Sebastian Dennison here in sunny Las Vegas. Hey, Seb. Oh, man, this is going to be a fun one today. We're, we're not in the confines of our very secluded studio at the PCCA headquarters, as we did last year. We had an opportunity to record at our Las Vegas Hormone Replacement Therapy Symposium in Las Vegas, Nevada, which occurs annually every February. It is pretty much our pinnacle of our education and training symposiums and and having the opportunity to have so many different technicians and pharmacists and everybody on basically here on board at the same time. And as you can hear, there's the event happening right next door. So there might be a bit of back noise, (laughs) but we were so fortunate to have Dr. Berkson, who is actually speaking for us at the symposium, to sit down and join us on the podcast. So welcome, Dr. Berkson. I love being at PCCA events and working with PCCA personnel. I think you're one of the very best organizations that there are. And I don't think I would be as healthy and dynamic and able to serve other people like I can unless it was for PCCA and the products that you make available to myself and my patients. That's a a great way to open the podcast. I actually thought you were probably going to say that at the end. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I I just blushed a little bit. That was amazing. Honestly, thank you so much and for, for sitting down and doing this. And one thing that we learned just by having a brief discussion with you prior is that you have a pretty successful podcast yourself. I do call the Dr. Berkson's Best Health Radio, and I try and get people to be agile thinkers because, you know, medicine, like everything else, goes into trends. And sometimes our best care isn't served by what's trendy at the time. You want science-based care, but standard of care isn't always science-based. Once we discover that, so we might get into that. So I so appreciate um, PCCA holding these events where we could pass forward science-based protocols. So I guess we'll start off by, you obviously have many years of history uh, practicing as a physician, and we'll we'll talk about your exposure to hormone replacement therapy and and working with thousands of patients. But um, high level, you know, What do you enjoy most about speaking at these types of symposiums and and what makes you want to come back and do it again? Hormones are my passion. I've been ruined by them and I've been saved by them. And what I mean by that is that my mother was given a prenatal vitamin that was given to women from 1938 to 1971. Millions of women were given this drug and it turned out to be the most powerful estrogen and the most powerful carcinogen 
ever invented. So I, most people get into functional medicine because they are eating the typical American diet, then they get ill, then they see the light, the clouds part, the Mormon Tabernacle Choir plays, and they get into functional medicine and they get well. But I did not have that experience. My mother was a profound state champion and athlete. So I was working out my whole life. I heard a lecture that you are what you eat when I was about 16 years old, been eating organic all my life. But when I was young, I just started getting cancer after cancer. And I was very ill. Even though I was doing everything right, I was getting the wrong outcome. It turned out that this drug that my mother was given was an extreme endocrine disruptor. So it was the most powerful estrogen ever invented. So my life was ruined by it in that sense. I had multiple cancers. I've lost eight organs. And it wasn't until I figured out how to balance my hormones, because that was a hormone disruptor, that almost two decades ago, I was able to stop the tumor madness. And now in my older age, I have the youth I was never able to achieve in my younger age wow. by having balanced hormones. Wow. That's a pretty, uh, that's a very impactful story. I don't think there's many individuals that can speak from that, from that side of the fence. Right. So I get to, to have been a patient and to serve patients. I'm on both sides of the desk, so to speak. And nowadays, you're seeing a lot of patients who come through with other endocrine uh, disruptors, and you're familiar with one of the most powerful ones, but you're, you're kind of taking this lead in being a hormone, a hormone wizard, so to speak, because you, you understand the, the, the potential for harm consequence uh, with, without having this sort of level of care and bioidentical hormone um, balancing. You know, I was so fortunate. I wrote one of the very first books on our dirty planet, chemicals that act like hormones and disrupt our own hormones. So they're called endocrine disruptors. And based on that, I was invited to be a scholar at a think tank at Tulane University. So most people that are serving patients, clinicians, don't have an academic background. So at Tulane, I worked with the scientists that discovered the receptors and that discovered the field of endocrine disruption. So I get to add that to my practice. And I know that's a, a new redefinition of hormones, so a bigger picture of hormones. So I, I love coming to these conferences and sharing that information because I have a 360 degree view of hormones. I see how they help patients. I've been working with them in practice uh, since 1979. I've been testing hormones and working with them. I've been in practice longer, but that's how long I've been testing hormones. I've been a patient with hormonal diseases. I've been a scholar at a hormone think tank, and I've written 21 books published. I just finished my 22nd. You're looking it's not at the think about yet. that, you're like, you weren't sure if it was 21 <laughs> well, or 22. My 22nd <laughs> isn't published yet, so I had to kind of put it like that. So I've looked at hormones. There's that song, I've looked at love from all ways round. So I've looked at hormones all ways round. And there's not a lot of people who look at hormones like that. And I've come to appreciate how foundational they are, that you can't be healthy unless your hormones are healthy. And I love coming here and passing the information forward for pharmacists, clinicians, and patients of how to do that. Do you see yourself working strictly with females or do you work with males as well? Everybody. Uh, everybody. Yeah, it's a family deal. It's a family deal. You know deal. what, you're not the first person to say that. Um, Sebastian wasn't here with me last year when we recorded with um, Dr. Carfora and she brought up the exact same thing. It's always a family situation because the family is always involved, the impact on children, the impact on the husband-wife relationship, and it's truly a, a family approach to medicine. But you know, 
number one, that's totally true. I'm in an agreement with that. The other thing is we think of hormonal issues as being something that happens later in life. It's not pregnancy if it's not sex. It's mainly perimenopause, postmenopause, andropause. It's when you get older that your hormones get weird and then you might deal with them. But actually, because there's so many chemicals in the environment that are hormone disrupting chemicals, we are seeing hormonal imbalances in children, in teens, in kids. There's an epidemic of polycystic ovarian syndrome and it's really somewhat like menopause in young girls. They have almost no estrogen. We see a huge rise of infertility, which is secondary to endocrine disruptors. So hormone health is now an issue for everybody, young kids. And ideally, we, even if we're healthy, we should get our, I think, our hormones tested once every decade to track them. So when you get off of health, you can see where they were when they were healthy. So hormone health, at all stages of life, I'm hoping to pass forward the information of how important it is. And this actually leads us into a, a really interesting one because, and, and this is gonna be something that you've already talked about with us, but I, I want to bring it up. We know within the compounding world, the discussion about hormones and hormone balancing and hormone health, and it's a lifetime sort of approach. Uh, back in the late 90s, people were starting to pick this up and everyone was getting excited about HRT. And then all of a sudden we had this study. And then we had the Women's Health Initiative come out and it pretty much really started getting into this sort of capping of time of, of hormones and, and the data has been very, um, it's been fought over. But recently there's something that's been come up and no one's really talking about it except you. And so I'm, 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 I, and, and I'm kind of bringing this back because when we talk about hormone health and we talk about a lifetime, we talk about understanding that balance of good health to, to poor health and condition and the tracking of it, literally we're into a new era, but the study might actually bring some light to that. So I'm kind of passing it back to you, so I'm giving you like a bigger platform. Discuss first that, that, that new information that we've got and then bring it back to that, that piece. I love that you brought that up, Sebastian. Thank you. So for decades, millions of women were given hormones because they thought it would keep women forever feminine and young. So hormones were the number one selling pharmaceutical all the way up until 2002. In 2002, something called the Women's Health Initiative published their very first little um, thoughts that, uh-oh, hormones might cause the very issues that we're giving hormones to women to prevent. But within a, a and everyone got totally frightened the biggest issue is that Wyeth, who was dispensing a lot of these hormones, got successfully sued. So they had to pay out over a billion, billions in dollars. Over a billion, I think it was billions. Because of that, no one wanted to give hormone prescriptions anymore, although in Europe that didn't happen as much. So very early on, statisticians and very well-respected experts like Leon Spiroff out of the University of Portland who's written the gynecology and infertility book that all OBGYNs are trained on, start saying, there's a lot of issues with this study. You shouldn't listen to this study because it goes against clinical experience of the last so many decades. And reanalyses started coming out saying this wasn't true. So I spent three years writing a book called Safe Hormones, Smart Women to remind women that they shouldn't necessarily throw hormones out the window because the very first blush of negative stuff wasn't necessarily true. In fact, for example, the negative article came out July 9th, 2002. 
October of that year, the Cache County studies came out showing that if women had been on estrogen for 10 years, they reduced their risk of Alzheimer's disease by 50%. Nothing's ever been that powerful to protect the brain. But because it came out in October and the First Women's Health Initiative came out in July, nobody listened to that. So fast forward three weeks ago in San Antonio, Texas. Once a year, they put on a breast symposium to update everyone what's going on in breast literature. There was a 19-year reanalysis sponsored by 12 cancer centers, the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center, the Brigham Young that's related to Harvard, the Stanford. I mean, it's these prestigious groups. And they said, oh my god, we were totally wrong. Estrogen protects against breast cancer. If a woman's on estrogen, she has less breast cancer. And if she's only on it for a few years, it protects her against breast cancer for the next 20 years. It was only the synthetic progestin that increased the risk of breast cancer. We made a terrible mistake. That didn't make headline news. The scary headlines made headline news and they're in the cultural consciousness. Women and doctors are afraid to use it and because of the litigious winds of the women against Wyeth, people are afraid of getting sued. But the data is clearly showed. Estrogen protects women against breast cancer. It's not driving breast cancer. And Avram Blooming, who's a famous oncologist in Southern California, he was the man that single-handedly changed disfiguring invasive breast cancer surgeries that everybody did for many decades to now being the conservative lumpectomy and radiation or you take it with a drug. He's the guy that was the visionary that said, we don't need to do such horrific surgeries. He's now the guy that's put, compiled the information that women with breast cancer that are taking estrogen have less risk of recurrence, less death from recurrence, and less all-cause mortality. And he's written a book called Estrogen Matters and summarizes this. There's, ten, there's um, 20 studies from cancer centers where women with breast cancer were given estrogen and tracked from four to seven years, and they fared better. And the standard of care is if you've had breast cancer, forget it. You shouldn't be on estrogen at all, but that's not what the science says. So. This study is so important, it didn't make any headline news. It wasn't on the TV. So I felt so honored to be able to come here at PCCA and be able to share with all the pharmacists that this is what's been happening because it's not being published anywhere else. And it's a shame because women are missing out on protective estrogen. And now this is tying back to that original part of the conversation where you're saying, if we can start tracking women when they're in their best health, and now we can track them and we can say, okay, your hormones are starting to slip. This is the risk part. We're starting to see that drop in hormones. We're seeing this imbalance. And now we've got this, we've got literature to support that, hey, maybe we need to re-examine this. And now here's the opportunity. And this is where you sit as a, as a clinician, that you can actually start compiling this information and you're out here talking to all these patients. So it's Sebastian, Michael, I just, this is really a great opportunity to let women know most women are afraid of estrogen. Most doctors are afraid of estrogen. They think it fuels breast cancer. It does the opposite. It protects against. So if you can track your hormones, exactly what you're saying, when they're going low or out of balance, you're more at risk. And if you can balance them, you become less at risk. So hormones have a lot to do with your health. And it's not a regular part of a physical. It's not a regular part of a blood test. One of my best friends in Austin, where I live, is an internist. She's never run an estrogen level in her life on her patients. I go, how do you practice if you never look at estrogen? It's not in her consciousness. She wasn't trained like that. She has breast cancer patients. She never looks at that. 
hormones aren't in the medical consciousness, but now we're seeing how much they protect us against our most feared diseases. How's that sound for you, Seb? Only because you've been on stages for the longest time, um, obviously referencing the study in 2002, and this, this new approach or this new way of looking at the Women's Health Initiative, the, how does that change your perspective and the perspective of our clinical services team? So we do have to respect the specialist in the room and their clinical perspective. And this is, I'm gonna mimic Pam Smith right out of the gate. If the uh, primary physician, who's the lead in that case, has that position, we, we can only give them the science and we can only give them the information and let them review it. If they are against it, we, we, we have to respect that. This is like, this is the pharmacist position. Now, I get to speak about this as a clinical perspective with all of the education that we've received and our entire team is aware of this, is that we knew that there was a disconnect between the fear, ah, the hormones are bad, hormones are bad, and the reality of lack of hormones is bad. And so we just, we've always been chugging away at the science. And this is actually, to me, I would always cite that study and say, this is an example of, um, taking things out of context, taking information out of, and, and, and heralding it as this is the only part. But if you actually do a deeper dive into the actual information, all of a sudden you realize, whoa, they got some of the, some of the information wrong and some of the conclusions wrong. And fortunately in the functional medicine world, we've had a lot of very uh, visionary practitioners, Dr. Berkson being one of them, who said, hold on, there may be something that we need to re-examine and, and rediscuss. And so to actually have this Women's Health Initiative uh, reanalysis 19 years later falls right in line with what a lot of functional medicine practitioners, pharmacists, uh, and doctors are saying is, here's the actual science. Let us really talk about the science because we can't talk about just knee-jerk reaction, fear-based perspective. And that, that was exactly what happened in 2002. I remember it clear as a bell. It was just like, hormones are bad. And this has been a detriment to women over all over the world. More cases of type 2 diabetes, more cases of dementia, more cases of breast cancer, more cases of faster aging. You know, the whole idea of the Women's Health Initiative was that the FDA, the um, excuse me, the NIH and the National Institute of Health got together with 40 different prestigious institutions and said, look, our fastest growing group of Americans are older and are women. So how do we protect them? and how do we not topple Medicare? So they started looking at women every which way to try and figure out how to keep us healthier longer, and the hormones were part of it. But it turns out that one of the most powerful tools to protect a woman on every level is hormone health. Hormone health, what aging is, is a loss of hormones, and balancing hormones can slow down aging protect your colon, your bones, your brain, your... Muscle mass, your nervous system, your immune system. It, yeah, it just your goes kidney. on. You know, what's great is that we know that you have more energy if your mitochondria are healthier, and estrogen protects your mitochondria. Women on hormones have more energy. Women on hormones aren't as obese. There was a study that just came out showing women on hormones that was spun off the Women's Health Initiative has left aches and pains. They don't have the need for as many joint pain medicines or joint replacements because hormones keep your joints healthier. What a novel thought. It's, it's just um, women have been denied hormones now since the first blush of the Women's Health Initiative and they're aging more at the speed of an accelerating bullet when the women on hormones 
if you take 100 women, even men, and everybody got the memo of exercise and food, so everybody's eating better and exercising, but half of the people are on hormones, you could cherry pick them out. Their skin would look thicker, shinier, their voices would be younger. They would be younger people longer because that's what hormones do. So we don't want to deny women that anymore. And then this is the other part is our team has known about this for a long time and within the functional medicine world. Uh, for those of you who have been attending any of our symposiums, we actually started talking about understanding um, new information and always keeping literally uh, up to date. But the American Congress of Obsgynies, they actually put out a committee expert opinion. Uh, I want to say it was in 2016 or 2015. They started saying there may be a role for estrogens post-cancer treatment. Um, and seeing uh, some benefit and they talk about the risks and now we're starting to see that shift and it fundamentally took almost 15 years for people to realize we got it wrong maybe we need to change this and 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 so this is this is an exciting time to be in, in the in the functional medicine world and especially in compounding and working with hormones because we're going to see those people coming back and now we've got a big piece of literature to hang our discussion points on so <clears throat> your career of practice I'll kind of wrap all this with a bow. You've been focused on, on hormones. You've been focused on, on functional medicine for quite some time. How could you describe the impact to your patient base? And could you even imagine practicing at this point, uh, at this stage of your career, without all the knowledge that you've been able to acquire and the lives that you've changed? I think I, because I had breast cancer 26 years ago, I tend to attract a lot of breast cancer patients. And when they're on aromatase inhibitors or tamoxifen, they have a lot of issues. They have poor quality of life. And now we have a lot of data to show that they could be a breast cancer survivor and be on hormones. And so I've put together a booklet on my website called Hormones for Breast Cancer Survivors, written in a way where my patients can hand it to oncologists. And it was for on testosterone. Now I've just put one together on estrogen. I just finished last night. And this is all what you could hand to your doctor so it'll affect the prescriptions that you'll get. Your oncologist, so they can be on board. So I've had about five or six cancer doctors call me up and say, thank you. I had no idea that there was peer-reviewed data that women fared better and has less risk of recurrence and less risk of death from this disease. And now I'm going to start taking a better look at it. So I feel like we've really made a big difference because when you take hormones away from a, a patient, their, their life is not the same. And you, the, the doctor was thinking that they were protecting their life, but the science isn't supporting that. So that's huge, and I feel like I've made a big difference with my patients. I myself have been on hormones now for about 22, 23 years, because I thought at the time I had breast cancer, I should wait for five years out. Knowing what I know now, I wouldn't wait. But nobody supported my my decision to be on hormones. None of my colleagues, none of my cancer doctors, everyone thought I was out of my mind, but I was reading the literature at the time. And so I go to my cancer doctor every year because she is, has really good fingers. She's a surgeon. And when she touches my breast or palpates it, she knows what she's feeling because she touches breasts all the time and then does surgery. So every year I've been seeing this woman for 25 plus years. And every year she says to me, you are the best looking breast cancer patient your age that I ever had, you have to get off hormones because she thinks they <laughs> kill. And it's been such an interesting dance that she and I have done over the years. Now I need to bring into her 
the reanalysis of the Women's Health Initiative and show her, and I bet she's going to feel like she missed out on those last 25 years when she could have been protecting herself, not just her patients. And we also do see this roll into men as well. Like, and I'm kind of taking this topic. Uh, we've known this for a long time, men at the between the ages of 50 to 55. We have that andropause discussion. And we see that hormones do preserve male health as well. And so I, I, I found it funny. It was a very patriarchal sort of like, oh, men get hormones. Women just suffer. And now it's kind of nice to see this like, oh, well, here's the evidence. Uh, men, you're good. Women, let's, uh, we'll treat you the same. Like, it, it's, it's phenomenal. I was at dinner the other night in Naples, Florida, and this gentleman was saying, men hormones? I didn't think men had hormones. I thought only women had hormones. I thought it was just a woman thing. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, oh, boy, I didn't realize how much people didn't understand that we all need, have hormones. I'm not even going to touch that one. <laughs> I thought Please that tell me so that funny. wasn't another doctor. That's all no, I'm No, 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 okay. it wasn't a doctor. I was at a dance event. You know, I like to dance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so learning more about your practice, learning more about what hormones represented, talk to me a bit more about the relationship that you have with compounding pharmacists because the compounding pharmacists that you work with are PCCA members. They're heavily involved with events like this from an events perspective, education perspective. They work together with our clinical services team and specialists like Sebastian, who is one of many. I love Sebastian. I really do. And I, I really appreciate you. I don't know you enough to love you. But. I'll take the compliment. I am definitely not the brains at the table. Um, but the one thing I, I, I guess it's so important for our listeners, too, is a lot of people out there are looking at, in, uh, at expanding their hormone practice. A lot of them are looking at aligning themselves with someone like PCCA. You've worked with PCCA members. You've worked with compounding pharmacists. What is your big takeaway um, as a whole? And overall, where do you just see a, a complete synergistic relationship that helps you treat patients? Well, without compounding pharmacists, we wouldn't be able to practice the way that we do. And I totally appreciate the efficacy and how you scour the world for the best resources. So I have a brand new book coming out on oxytocin. I worked with Linnell and PCCA to put a whole chapter together. And I told people I don't make money from this. I do lecture for them, but I'm not getting any money. But I believe in PCCA products the most. So I have a whole entire chapter about how to do this, how to order the bases. Completely PCA. We had work on not sounding like... I wasn't like, even aware of that. Not sounding like it's a commercial for them, but I so believe in it. And I know you you also mentioned to me offline um, some of the impact that some of our bases have had because I know you start talking about our newest HRT Versa base which is an anhydrous system and you mentioned that you just had recent exposure to that that base only came out what three four months ago so I just heard about it a few days ago so in Naples we already the yeah, this week uh, my first week in Naples at working at Pearl Mutter's old clinic so I saw like 10 patients this week because uh, people are just learning about me I think I put a third of those patients on that base <laughs> well there you go well, and I just put my, I'm in my next script. I'm going to get that myself and see how it how it works. I haven't tried it yet myself. Yeah, and the, the the look, the feel. So at the patient level, they'll definitely notice a difference because it's not your standard cream base. It it it, it it's an anhydrous system, so it probably feels a lot silkier and smoother. And the the, the true nature of an anhydrous system means that you're able to date it as a pharmacist with a much longer dating. Uh, because it's not an aqueous-based system. Oh, I so see. Th that's a true benefit at the pharmacy and the patient level. So they might be able to prepare a certain dose and not date it 30 days. They can date it much longer. So 
but back to back to a little bit more back to the absorption, uh, the absorption and the and the clinical efficacy. Daniel Banoff actually worked to develop an anhydrous system that had a cream-like texture and break system. So instead of a true ointment and that feel of like greasiness and, and, and um, sort of non-absorption characteristics, so because ointments generally are great humectants, but they don't absorb them deep into the skin and, and then allow the delivery of medication. So Daniel actually developed it. So when it goes into the skin, it actually absorbs in and then releases the molecules into the stratum corneum, and then you get that active So it enhances transport. bioavailability is it what you're saying. It enhances bioavailability, yeah. but it also has a <clears throat> cream-like consistency and break system. So you're not getting that ointment residue, which then leads to a lot of transference and shedding of hormone. Well, how is it for the labia and for the vaginal vault? How is it for the mucosal delivery? We would not do an internal delivery. We could do an extra vaginal. We haven't tested it internally, and so we don't have any safety data, so we are not recommending that at this time. Okay, but that's good to know. But for an extra vaginal... But different base. But a different conversation. So you said, okay. Different base. Yeah, because yeah, I do... Anyway, yeah. But we can always do a suppository or a pessary, and we can actually um, come up with a similar... Sorry, we can come up with a different system for uh, intravaginal delivery. Okay. But, but not that base just at this time, because there are silicones in there. And that's just one of the properties that we, we very conservative group, are just like, we haven't tested it. We don't have any data. It's something we are working on uh, internally. Um, you love oxytocin. You converted me to an oxytocin advocate. And we're seeing this just, um, it, it's changing lives as well. And we really appreciate that. Oh, I thank you. You know, what happened was, is I was working one week out of each month in Tulsa, Oklahoma for many years, and I worked with this internist. He was double board certified with PhD in nutrition, and he had a really close relationship with some PCCA compounding pharmacists called Care First Pharmacy that was in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, and they were using at the time oxytocin blended with Cialis or Viagra as an enhancer for erectile dysfunction, and they were using a lot of it because his patient population was slightly older. So I, it was the first time I had experience with oxytocin, so I started diving into the literature, which I am prone to do. And I was fascinated to see that oxytocin worked all throughout the intestinal tract and that there was this group of gastroenterologists, researchers in Scandinavia that were I'm doing all this research and I started, I contacted them and we started talking and then we started, I started coming up with the idea of using oxytocin for, as an alternative to proton pump inhibitors and doing all kinds of things. So it just, it expanded from there. And now I have this new book coming out, um, which is really will be very helpful for pharmacists and for patients to hand to their doctors to learn all the different medical uses of oxytocin, not just as a love or a erotic drug, but for type 1 diabetes, for addictions, for um, blood sugar maintenance, for especially for gut issues and esophageal issues. So it ended up taking oxytocin to a new level. But the only thing is, oxytocin is one of the most peculiar hormones in that it's a team player. And if there aren't a lot of other things present, it won't work. So some people take oxytocin and say it didn't do anything for me because they don't have all the other team players present. So I talk about that a lot in the new book that's coming out. I think but the title's going to be Orgasms Heal. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure because it's the medicinal use of the love hormone. And so this is going to be book number 22. 22. 22. Right. Um, and I, I, I've read into some of the literature as well, and my understanding is it's a beautiful addition to patients who are balanced out on hormones, but it, using it without the balancing of hormones and nutrients as well as the healthy gut 
pretty much it's it's like throwing a thimble full of water on an ocean fire. It's just it's not appropriate. It's not going to be as effective. And so it's it's very complementary and it can be have tremendous effect, but without all of the other back work. That's that's effectively what your book is about, which is amazing. It's going to be fun. To, it's going to be an awesome read. Thank you. I hope so. I was at a uh, some program in Austin a few weeks ago, and there were a few compounding pharmacists there, and they each wanted to order a hundred pre 100 copies pre-published so i was like oh yes that's exciting that's awesome <laughs> we, we, what we should do is we should talk to you and anyone who's listening to this podcast um check it out when when the release comes in what's the name of your podcast again so that people can oh, find out when your really when your book drops you. it's dr Berkson's best health radio and it's available on itunes i assume and yeah I'm, google play spotify and they can go if they have any question about how to get to it um, you can go to drlindsayberkson.com, my website, and you can go right into the podcast or my blog or a bunch of other stuff. But if you have any problem getting it, um, but it's, uh, and I have a lot of pharmacists and medical doctors that listen, but also a lot of patients and people all over the world. For I get, sure. So it's nice to share information um, about what's going on. As soon as the uh, San Antonio Breast Cancer Symposium happened December 13th, just a few weeks ago. I did a whole show. Within a few days, I did a show on estrogen vindication and that breast cancer symposium. So I try and keep up on the literature, and the people that follow me get to hear what's happening, at least things that I, you know, my filters, my antenna are picking up. So, well, We're going to do a, we'll try to do an excellent job at promoting a lot of the ways to stay in touch with you and to follow you and to, and to learn more about you and your practices because you can, you can tell that there's a ton of passion there and you're trying to obviously be on the cutting edge. So as a PCCA speaker and, and somebody who gets a chance to help educate, I'll speak on behalf of our membership to thank you for that because it definitely puts them in a very different position when they have a lot of this information and this knowledge to pass on to their patients too. So I so appreciate that. And I think part of it is also being an oldie but goodie because if you think about it, I mean, it's hard to believe, but I've been in practice almost 50 years. So I've been in practice with functional medicine since very early on with a lot of the people who are called. And you don't look 50, so it's, it's an amazing <laughs> feat. So, <laughs> you know, it used to be when I lectured, people were more interested in the topic I was lecturing on. Now when they hear my age and that how ill I was when I was younger and I get to enjoy my youth now that I'm older, they pretty much just don't want to hear what I'm lecturing on. I'm surrounded by these young doctors. No, what do you eat? No, really, really, what do you take? What hormones are you on? Because people <laughs> yeah. want to feel like they can be older and live longer better because most people think of being 70 as really old and you speak really slowly. You don't have you're not vivacious. You, really, everyone thinks of 70 as being old, old. And yet it doesn't have to be like that. But you can't do that unless your hormones are watching your back. You just can't. And, and it's funny because I'm listening to you speak. And that's exactly what I'm thinking is people want the magic sauce to which you're, you're putting on your, your, your food. And really and truly, it's first and foremost, balance out the hormones Make sure that you stay more healthy. than the food, yep. more than the exercise. Yep. Not that you shouldn't do all of it, but, but hormones, hormones are more foundational. When we go to our doctor, they don't run it on our physicals. They don't talk to us about it. It's not in the medical consciousness to think that your hormones are foundational, but they're more they're more foundational than anything. So, as a wrap up statement that I'm going to make, because I have to run off and do a presentation in about five minutes. <laughs> um, if I was if I was a pharmacist today, one of the my major takeaways is. When you have a patient who comes in between the ages of 25 and 35 who is 
who's asking about their health and their future and what they should do to, and if they have any health concerns. This is the opportunity to start talking about testing. Get testing before you're 35. Make sure that your hormones are balanced out. Keep that on file for that patient because that's going to be the that's going to be how to keep that patient healthy. The further out you get that information when they're healthy, the better you're going to serve them in their in their future. Couldn't think of a better way to wrap it up. And pleasure hearing you speak for the second time. Last time was north of the border, so it's it's great to have you here in the U.S. as well. Thank you so much for doing this. For sitting down with us, or I should say, standing, standing up, up with you, standing up with us. <laughs> She's I been dancing a little bit. I can see it. That was two really great. And there's also another gentleman sitting here at the table. That's, that's Quentin. Helping you. He is awesome. Quentin, or a sound Quentin guy, never gets guy. never gets a shout out. So ever. I get to stand here with three really cool male human beings and, and help everybody hear all this. It's an I just love it. I really do because it it makes such a huge difference. So I love passing that difference forward. Well, it's a pleasure to to be with you. And like I said to our audience. We'll do our best to share a lot of the ways that they can follow you and, and stay abreast as to what you're talking about and still staying connected to who Dr. Berkson is. And Quentin, you never get a shout out, but I'm giving you a shout out because <laughs> after all these episodes, you're the uh, the brains behind making this sound so professional and, and trying to find a location in Las Vegas that's ex as quiet as possible to record a podcast is not an easy feat. So uh, we're just blessed that we get the opportunity to record outside of our studio. Quinton and his team make it happen. So thanks again for joining us. Thanks to all of our listeners out there for tuning in once again to a special episode of A Mortar and Pestle live from Las Vegas. For all of our listeners out there, please follow us on iTunes, Spotify, and on Podbean. You can always subscribe so you don't miss an episode. For Sebastian, this is Mike. Thanks again and talk to you soon.